I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, our sermon text for tonight um, will be verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. As you make your way there, um, it's probably fitting that I tell you what happened to my arm. Because so many of you guys have been so kind to ask. There's a few things I want to tell you. Number one, if you've ever questioned my commitment, don't question my commitment anymore. Specifically, if you've ever questioned my commitment to six-year-old baseball, you don't have to question that anymore either. Um, The promise that I make to my six-year-old baseball team is that we might not always be the fastest or the strongest, but we can be the toughest. And so we had a little who could be the toughest drill on Monday night, and I lost. Um, I I hurt my shoulder, basically, coaching six-year-old baseball. That's, That's the story. Um, I was telling one of you guys that I'm not as good as I once was, but Monday night I was as good once as I ever was, and it cost me dearly. So, I want to read for you 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Would you listen closely to this God's very word to us? Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this very moment, we want to ask that you would do the thing, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit that only you can do. Lord, we want to ask that you would use the words that I've prepared and that you would use the words in this passage and you'd use them, Lord, to do several things. Lord, would you use them to shine light on dark places in our hearts and in our souls? Lord, would you use them like a hammer that would bust up rocky places inside of us? Lord, would you use them to feed we, your hungry people? And Lord, would you use them to give us great hope? In our Lord Jesus, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you only live once. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. 
Now, these are some phrases that are intended to be somewhat funny. They're trying to get into the idea that every now and then you sort of have to shed some of your inhibitions and feel free to indulge. But these phrases that are somewhat funny actually, I think, reveal something a little darker. The idea that we carry in our minds and our thinking and in our lives that if we could somehow shed rules, constrictions, we'd actually be free. These words that are intended to be funny, according to the apostle Peter, when we actually live by them, act according to them, think along these lines, it's not so funny because this way of thinking and living can, in fact, is, in fact, will destroy you and me. In these words, Peter is going to beg his hearers to not be destroyed, to not be killed by their sinful desires. So y'all, on a beautiful spring afternoon with cars going by, um, with lots of distraction, I want to be as clear and as simple as I can possibly be for you this afternoon. And this is the main thing I hope you hear from this sermon. And it's this, your sinful desires will kill you. Your sinful desires will kill you. But in Christ, you can be alive. Your sinful desires will kill you, but in Christ, you and I are free to be truly alive. And the way I want to do this is I want to just take it and explain it. Explain what Peter's saying here, really one phrase at a time. So look with me at verse 11. I thought it'd be helpful if I could try to give you somewhat of a paraphrase of verse 11. So you can really catch the emphasis of this passage. Peter here is talking in emphatic terms. We're getting to see the pastor Peter. And the pastor Peter is pleading with all the pastoral passion that he can muster. He's begging his people. Okay, he's got a lot of pain. And it kind of sounds like this. This is the way we could capture the emphasis of this text, which is kind of lost on us. Peter's saying this. He's saying, friends, friends, I'm begging you. I'm begging you as immigrants in this world to distance yourself, separate yourself from uncurbed sinful impulses. Because these uncurbed sinful impulses are killing you. It's the heart that's beating from Peter here. 
So let's just take these phrases a little at a time. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Remember, Peter has begun his letter by saying that the hearers are sojourners and exiles. In other words, they're immigrants. They are temporarily living in their communities. Almost like an immigrant would temporarily live in a city. Okay, they're, they're temporarily, temporarily living in these cities as passerbys. And as such, they're not supposed to full on take up the customs of these places where they live. They're supposed to maintain distinction and difference. Y'all, some of us at Grace have a relationship with a family. Um, the, the husband or the dad's name is Muhammad. Um, the wife's name is Yasmin. The kids are Maj and Bassam and Eileen. They're a family from Yemen. They're Muslims. And when you go over to their house, okay, though they're living in Homewood, Alabama, they're living as strangers. There's different customs. There's ways they will dress when they invite you into their home. There's a way they will set up a meal According to their customs, they will have you sit in their living room. All the furniture will be cleared away and you will sit in a circle. They will give extravagant hospitality according to their customs, even when they're here in our world where we mostly eat by grabbing food through a window of our car. They allow their children to play in our yard, but they're, they're careful about the kind of things that their kids would be exposed to because there are some customs, there are some traditions, there are some values that they want to keep up and running. Of course, this does not mean they're disdainful about our world. In fact, just the opposite. Muhammad teaches among struggling youth. He he teaches classes. He's the best possible citizen of this world. Muhammad texts me on Easter Sunday wishing me a happy Easter. So it doesn't mean he's disdainful of this world and nor are Peter's readers or hearers supposed to be and neither are you and I supposed to be. But while we live in this world, we live as if we're citizens of another place. So Peter in verse 11 is reminding them, friends, don't you remember you're strangers and exiles? And as such, look at this next phrase. As sojourners and exiles, this next phrase, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Just one piece at a time. This word abstain, okay, it's a strong word. Okay, it's, it's distance yourself. It's remove. It's make no provision for. It's put to death. In other words, it's a very active word. You will not wake up in the morning and accidentally abstain in the way that Peter's talking here. It won't just happen. It will take an active, concerted effort for you to do something different than your natural default mode of living and existing. Does that make sense? As sojourners and exiles, abstain from this next phrase, from the passions of the flesh. Let's take this word passions. 
you might have in your Bibles desires, longings. Okay, it's, it's simply the word desire. Sometimes in the Bible, it's used for a good desire. Sometimes in the Bible, it's used for a evil desire. In other words, our desires as human persons are kind of like hinges, aren't they? They can kind of swing toward the wrong things or our desires can swing toward Christ and right things. In this case, these are desires or urges or longings of our flesh. In other words, sinful desires. Karen Jobes, a New Testament scholar, describes these sinful desires or this passions of our flesh as our unchecked, uncurbed, sinful desires. Notice you and I can't help but have desires, okay? We're going to have desires. Human persons are desirers, fundamentally. The goal of Christian faith is not to become stoic and not ever feel any desire, but it's for our desires to be channeled in the right way. And, and that's something we're gonna talk about a little more at the end. These unchecked sinful impulses. Do you know right now what Peter's talking about? I wanna give you some examples. What about when someone wrongs you, that instant desire you have to injure them back with your words. Remember a couple weeks ago, we saw this word malice. It's getting at that idea. What about that attitude that you carry and you just want to say something nasty to your roommate, to a family member? Unchecked sinful impulses. What about the way that you just really think when you're feeling the pressure of your day that if you could drink, you know, a third of that bottle of tequila that would help you escape? What about that desire you have in your heart to click on that link or better yet have the thrill of trying to find that link? Or to look at the tab, the explore tab or... or these unchecked sinful impulses to, to maybe interrupt in a conversation to show everybody how much you know. The list could go on and on and on. Peter's begging his hearers to distance themselves from those impulses. Why? Let's look at this next phrase. Because they are waging war against your soul. Let me see if I can explain this. What Peter is saying is that Satan, our great enemy, that sin, that evil and darkness are essentially trying to lead an army against your soul. Trying to gather an army against your soul. The battleground of this war is your desires. The battleground of this war are your desires. And Satan would want to weaponize your desires against you in order to kill you. 
And when Peter here talks about waging war against your soul, it's really important that you realize it's not just a matter of your physical desires versus sort of your internal. It's when Peter talks about our souls, it's a very rich and full idea, this new life that you have, mind, body, soul, that your sinful desires are trying to kill this life you have in Jesus. And Peter's calling on his people to hear this message. He's trying to tell them, your sinful desires are killing you. Imagine your sinful desires like fingers that are tightening their grip around your neck in order to choke the life out of you. Some of you have been there. Some of us are there. Look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter's concerned that the Christian's conduct be honorable for the sake of their witness in the world. You see, in the ancient world, Christians were always the, the victim of accusation. For example, because Christians wouldn't worship the Roman emperor, they were accused of being unpatriotic people because of the way that they would all gather as one family across racial, um, across generational, across socioeconomic lines. They were accused of being these secret people that wanted to subvert the peace of the Roman Empire. Christians were accused of being cannibals because they, people knew that they got together and they ate someone's flesh. Christians were accused of all sorts of evil. And what Peter's saying is that when people come and they inspect your community, when they inspect your church, you want to be able to say that they have no grounds for accusation. But see, what was often the case in the first century is the same thing that's often the case in the 21st century that when people began to inspect Christian communities, they find patterns of sin that in 1 Corinthians were told are not even tolerated among the Gentiles. When people began to inspect Christian communities in the 21st century, they find patterns of sin often in abuse that wouldn't even been tolerated at certain corporate businesses in our city. I mean, this should break us. What Peter's saying is that your sinful desires are killing you, and at the same time, they are ruining your witness in the world. So can you see why he's begging? Can you see the passion by which he is pleading as their pastor, if you will? So now what? And I ask, now what? Because I essentially have told you 
Sin is destroying you. And I'm keenly aware that almost everyone came here this afternoon because you already know that. So what hope is there for Peter's hearers? What hope is there for you and for me? Because I have the privilege of getting to have access to your life, to your hearts and souls, I know that there are people here who are being destroyed by sinful desires. And I know that there are people here that really, really, really want to be free. I think this text's call is clear, isn't it? I mean, we get the word right there in verse 11. Abstain. If we wanted to use another word here, the call would be clear. And we could use the word repent. In other words, you and I, in the face of a message like this, should really try to turn away from these things that are destroying us. But the hope of a passage like this is that we will not be able to do this by sheer force of will. And there's, there's two reasons. Number one, if you try to abstain from sinful desires by sheer force of will, you will fail again and again and again and again. And you will always feel like a failure over and over and over. And it will take you into deeper levels of shame and hiding. Trust me, I would know. And a second reason why this will not happen by force of will is because there are some of us, some of you, that will be too good at it. By sheer force of will, you will be able to corral, at least to some degree, and you'll become very proud of yourself for that reality. And you'll be able to look at all the people who can't seem to get it together, and you will feel extremely self-righteous about that, which is a sinful desire to feel better than everyone. And guess what? You will be being destroyed all the same to the same exact degree. See, that's the sneaky thing about sin. It deceives us. It lies to us. And then it accuses us. It just plays out again and again and again and again. But there is a way that you and I can be free and be alive. And it will be my joy in the next few moments to lay out the hope of Jesus to you as clear as I possibly can. There was a 17th century pastor in England, and he wrote a little poem. I'm going to read it for you and try to explain it because I think it's, I think it's the key to making sense of a passage like this. This pastor's name was John, and here's what he wrote. Run, run, John, the law demands. 
but it gives us neither feet nor hands. In other words, the law, abstain, calls you to something, but it doesn't have the ability to provide for you the thing that it's asking. Does that make sense? The law says, run, run, but it doesn't give you feet, so you can't. That does not mean the law is bad, by the way. But the New Testament teaches that what the law could not do, that is empower you to obedience, Christ did. So this poem goes on to say this, run, run, the law demands, but it gives me neither feet nor hands. Such sweeter news the gospel brings because it asks me to fly, but it gives me wings. If there is something that I hope you get tired of me telling you is that Christ has provided everything that he has required. Everything. And that does not mean Jesus does not require. Jesus does actually make demands. It's just that he provides everything we need to live obediently, which means that Christ's demands are actually an invitation to be alive and have joy. So repentance in light of the work of Jesus looks like at least the following things. And I really want to ask you to listen carefully to these. First of all, in Christ, you have forgiveness. It might be a long time since someone has looked you in the face and told you that Jesus forgives you, but Jesus forgives you. Remember, Peter said that there were once a people who did not have mercy, but now they have been given mercy. You have forgiveness. I know that there are people here that so bad want forgiveness. And what I'm telling you is that you can have it, and you can have it today. Christ forgives. Now, as if that were not enough, Christ doesn't just offer forgiveness. He also removes shame from us is a very different kind of precious gift. Jesus also provides a perfect life of obedience. And in our union with him, his obedience gets to be our obedience, which means that you and I live in a new reality where new things are now possible. This is what Peter has already told us, that we're no longer enslaved to our former ignorance. But instead, you and I live in a living hope. In Jesus, not only do we have forgiveness, not only do we have perfect righteousness, not only do we have shame removed, but we have a new reality that we live in. And as if that were not enough, scriptures teach us that he has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us and to make us into a people who are empowered and now free to obey. Which means, by the way, you and I will have to learn to think 
even more deeply about our desires. Let me see if I can explain. For example, in that moment where you have a sinful, impulsive desire to injure someone with your words, what if you knew that in Christ you were already defended and guarded? See, the thing you really want to know that you're being defended and guarded in Christ, you already have. You and I can learn to think deeper about our desires. Let's say that moment when you want to drink too much because you want to escape. What if in Jesus, you don't really have to? You don't really have to escape because in Christ, you have a certain and sure anchor in any and every storm. What if in Jesus, you have someone upon whom you can cast every stress and anxiety that you feel? In other words, you can be free. When you feel tempted to click on that link or the thrill of just trying to find that link, because you've been lied to and you think that will help. I just want to ask you, have you ever tasted the joy of obedience? Because I think you'll like it better. See, in Jesus, you can be alive and you can be free. When you want to sort of get the last word in to show everybody how much you know, because at the end of the day, you're afraid. You're afraid that you don't have value. What if in Jesus, every piece of value and worth that you could ever want, what if you already had it? Your sinful desires are killing you in more ways than one. But in Jesus, you can be really, really, really alive and free. Let's pray. Lord, these things are easier talked about. Lord, than lived, we acknowledge that. So we ask that the hope we have in you would set us free. Help us, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would help us and give us great hope, we pray. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.